0: My name is Mike G, and uh, codependency is is a is a thing with me, and um, so uh, I guess I'll speak. Um, and I'm thinking back to if I've ever actually spoken at a codependence anonymous meeting, in the in the sense of a kind of like an old school. A or N a, you know, full speak, not that this will be a full hour <clears throat> by any means, but, um, I'm, I'm not sure that I, that I have, um, but anyway, I'll, I'll just go into it. So, um, I was always, uh, sensitive and I grew up in, in LA in uh, San Fernando Valley. Woodland Hills area, I think. Um, I was only there for a few years. And then uh, we moved back to uh, Buffalo. Um, I wasn't happy about that. I mean, I had no say in it, obviously, but I, I used to think I could be a, a rock star or a movie star and that, that my chances were, were slim to none in Buffalo. Um, but um, my parents were doing, I guess what, was, what they thought was best. And it was really an actually a good thing because I grew up amongst my cousins, um, aunts and uncles. Um, It was a kind of situation in the in the Williamsville suburbs of Buffalo area that um, like we were only just a few streets away from each other. So I so I grew up in that situation where I think they they tried to have a sense of community, which. You know, kudos, kudos to them if that's what they were striving for um and uh but you know interestingly i was adopted so i i never felt uh, i don't know i always felt odd let's just say um but i didn't i wasn't told i was adopted until i think i was maybe five or seven or something like that i think um my mom went along with the uh with the spock book of, of uh you know telling the kid as soon as he could understand that which I really didn't understand it it really didn't make any sense to me one way or the other I mean I didn't know how regular kids came and so for me it was just an academic piece of information so I, I was neither good nor bad I remember telling my my friends about it <clears throat> or my some of my cousins when we went to visit them up in Burlington um, Ontario and um, you know one of them who was a little dickwad, made fun of me. But you know, he was just a little dickwad. So that was just what his job was. But I don't think he knew what it was either. He was a couple years younger than me. So not a clue. But anyway, I always felt as though I was um, I mean, uh, my, my, my family was so different from me. And my sister, she passed away last month from uh, cancer. Um, she was a year and a half younger than me. She also was adopted. Uh, so it was a pretty normal childhood. I think that the main, there wasn't any, you know, alcohol or drugs or anything like that, but there was definitely uh, emotional abuse. There there wasn't a, a lot of physical abuse to to talk about really, I mean, there was just occasional spankings. I don't think that it was, um, <clears throat> that much more than, than, than normal, uh, probably, but there was, there was, a there was w- at least one that, that seemed a little bit out of place. Um, uh, a little bit more of a spanking than, than was warranted, I think. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> and anyway, my dad, I've called him like a rageaholic i think what his deal was was he was very he was a first born child so i think he fit that sort of child order bill being the hero and uh, he had three siblings and so he felt as though he had to take care of all of them and then he was starting a family and this and that so he um he was very sort of rigid there was a right way to do things and if you don't do it the right way then you're dumb and that kind of a thing so that's that's pretty much the way he lived his life and and anyone that got around him was touched by that, so as I think back on it, I feel as though I think he was just filled with fear, you know afraid of making a mistake, afraid of doing the wrong thing <clears throat> Pardon me, <clears throat> afraid of being a fool and uh, so that was what he he was sort of white knuckling it through life in in that sense and so there was a part of me that definitely that definitely took that on uh, for a while. I was kind of a perfectionist and I also was the first child um, but like I said, I was sensitive and I remember in in um, in kindergarten kids were talking and playing and stuff and usually I was hanging out alone i um uh, they I, I think I remember them calling me Mr. Nobody because I I really just was very passive. And I remember another time where my mom made um, cupcakes for me, it was my birthday, and she made cupcakes to bring to uh, like preschool. And I was so distraught, I would not get out of the car. So she had to go in there, bring the cupcakes to the rest of the class and say, you know, Mike doesn't want to come in. And uh, I think I was afraid of being the center of attention. I was afraid of having to perform. Um, so, and, and that's kind of a, that's, that's been me ever since. I mean, I have to actually gird myself up to, you know, to, to show up basically a lot of times, you know, um, sometimes not so much. Um, I think, you know, there's something that I've used and I call it the schmo factor. And, um, so when I looked at a, lot, a whole bunch of other people who were doing things like adult things or like buying houses or like, you know, uh, <clears throat> raising a family and being a breadwinner or, or those kind of things. And I always had such doubts that I was able to do that. Um, I would use the schmo factor, which I thought to myself, well, I'm pretty damn intelligent. And if those schmos can do it, then I suppose I can, you know, and it actually works pretty well um it was a way of sort of level setting and i've used that as a tool a lot of times to just sort of say you know it's probably not as bad as i think it is or it's not going to be as bad as i think it is that kind of a thing just sort of you know just a kind of a level set of like you know uh, the truth is somewhere in the middle right um but uh i got into things like uh pot and and, uh, alcohol and stuff like that, a lot later than friends of mine. Everyone else was doing that kind of stuff before I did. I wanted to be a good boy. And um, so I got into it late, but I took to it uh, like a duck to water, like I did with with everything else I did, whether it was collecting beer cans, collecting mad magazines, um, all kinds of different things. I think when I look back on it now, I mean, I met someone when I was a camp counselor, there was someone who I met who had ADHD they called him hyperactive and he was on meds and, and, and he was like, fucking, you know, he was, uh, he needed, you know, uh, it wasn't like a bunch of us who, who talk about it now. And it's like, well, I don't know. I can't focus. I'm not sure what's going on here. Maybe I'm, you know, uh, but so for me, uh, I think that that's a, there's a spectrum. I think most of us probably understand that. And I look at the DSM five and I could, Oh, golly, I could I could pick a bunch of things, you know, that I have, uh, you know, but I think that I'm, I'm probably a bit on the ADHD side or ADD side and a bit on the um, autism spectrum side. Um, I did take some tests for that. I did actually take meds for that. I couldn't really tell if it was doing anything. I think that for me, it really had more to do. It may have been so mild that it, it had more to do with just getting good night's sleep and and proper diet and stuff. but, and so I've tried to figure this stuff out because there, there was a part of me for so long is like, why do I not give a shit about people? Why, when people talk about love and things like that, I'm like, i'm not I'm not sure it's a thing. I mean, I feel the warm squigglies. I've had crushes, absolutely. <clears throat> and i've I've loved, I'll use the word, and I've been hurt. And I think that's happened a few times in in adolescence whereby I've built up a wall and said, Hmm, not so much of that. Maybe let's, let's be protective. Um, so there, there was, there's, there's a bit of that going on, but I think that I'm wired differently than, than a lot of people. And, and for the longest time when I was in another 12 step program where you don't drink and, um, and, and part of the, Doctrine of that particular uh, program is that what you're supposed to do is it's supposed to be about other people. It's not supposed to be about you. It's supposed to be about other people. And the more you do for other people and the less you do for you, the better and more healthy you are. That's kind of the message. And I was like, at 10, 20 years into sobriety, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me? I'm just, I can do that stuff, but it's a chore. And it doesn't make me feel any better. It makes me resent it. It makes me like, when do I get the time to just sort of be by myself and and just read, and and uh, do what I want to do? And I think part of that has to do with growing up. And you know, when you're a grown up, you and I remember my mom telling me this when I was young. She said, you know, a lot of life is about doing stuff you don't want to do. And 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 I get that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so. I've had some relationships and my relationships with my, my parents were interesting. So when I got into sobriety, I was lucky enough that it was in the late 80s. There was a lot of uh, codependence, anonymous, building up pretty big at that time. So the my sponsor and his sponsor, um, they went to this place. Oh yeah, what happened was I was I was sober for a year and then I had a bunch of feelings and um, I didn't know what to do with them. And I, I went to this uh, like a rehab place where they worked on um, codependency and you know alcohol and drugs and stuff like that. And um, that's where my sponsor and his sponsor went. It was a very cool place in Montreal. And they did kind of a combination of 12 step, <clears throat> kind of a bit of a sort of new age type stuff, unity, uh, 12 powers of the mind you know that kind of thing and and I was reading Emmett Fox and I was into all that stuff so I was sort of a um quasi you know christian in the sense of being like not that uh Jesus was a savior to save from sin because sin was missing the mark it wasn't had nothing to do with what the normal christians talk about it this is more of a new age thing and which was very palatable uh for me and um and it worked real it worked real well um for a while uh, <clears throat> so through that that rehab, it was like a boost charge to my recovery, and I learned a lot about boundaries and I learned a lot about a lot of things that you know and and so coda meetings and went to uh, you know started coda meetings and and stuff like that and um <clears throat> I was. About three years sober, um, and I got married and um, to a, a girl that was in AA, and uh, we had a family. She was in the Navy, so we went to Bermuda for a couple of years, then back to Virginia Beach. Oh um, well, Yeah, I, I, I was in Virginia Beach at that point in time, um, <clears throat> because I was in the Navy, and I got kicked out of the Navy. That, that was a thing, because um, I was just wandering around trying to figure out what to do college relationships just couldn't really hang on to any of that stuff um and and so there was a part of me that was just really filled with fear but recovery from alcohol and drugs helped a lot and recovery in you know in from codependency helped a lot as well so i learned a lot about um uh you know part of the thing that we did was the child within type work inner child work, um, I, there, at that point in time, there was like, there was like sweat lodges, there's the men's movement, you know, and so we were, you know, Iron John, and, 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 and these books and stuff. And it was a good time to, it was a good time to be in recovery in the, in the early 90s. You know, there's a lot of resources and stuff and, and a lot of things happening. Um, and, uh, and so what was interesting was, in growing up, and getting married and sort of playing house, I guess it was because what I was doing was I got married, I think because I was in a relationship and I sort of didn't want it to end. And I guess that's sort of like the next thing that you do. Um, if I, if I had really thought about it now that we're divorced (laughs) after 28 years, we gave it a good run. I got to tell you. And there was, it was almost all good times, you know, so we're both good eggs. I got to say that, um, but I'm, I don't think I'm the marrying kind. I just don't think I ever was. I think that that bit of me is wired in such a way that that's just not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give somebody the kind of things that they need in a relationship. And it took me a long time to realize that because like I said, for a long time, I thought there was something wrong with me. And I don't think that there is at all. I just think I'm wired in a certain way. And, you know, that's the cool thing about it is like we can't all be the marrying kind. We can't all bring up families and stuff. Some of us got to like invent shit and stuff like that, you know. So there's other things to do because I'll tell you that 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 takes up a lot of time. And so it was OK, though. I mean, I did it. I played the game. I was I did the scouts. I did the soccer. I took them here. I took them there. But here's a typical thing where <clears throat> like I'm taking one of the kids to soccer or sports or something like that and then i drop them off there and i and then i go and do some shopping at home depot or something like that whereas some of the other dads were like right on in there and maybe even you know one of the assistant coaches or something like that and if anybody asked me to do anything that had anything to do with sports it'd be like you know please don't um but for me my my mental attitude was i got all this stuff to do like around the house that I can't do. So I was like multitasking. That was the kind of a thing that I was doing. And I felt I felt bad about that. I felt for a while, I felt like, wow, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing what the other dads are doing. I'm not giving them, uh, you know, and I felt bad about that. And again, what I'm realizing is that like, I'm just not wired that way. You know, my son, Zach, we live together. We don't do a whole lot of stuff together, but we love each other. He likes to be by himself and do his stuff with his friends. He's 29. I I do stuff with, you know, with you guys or just by myself or whatever. It's just the, it's just the way we are. And I thought that was a problem for a long time, like there was some sort of normal. And so that was part of my thing was I searched for what is the normal. I searched for what is the right religion. What is the normal way to behave? I wanted to I thought self-actualization was about being the best person you could be. I thought that you had to find yourself like there was a me that had to be found um and in a in essence i think that that's a yes and a no for me so here's what i think about that is that because i was so many different things to so many different people so they wouldn't yell at me um or so that i would be liked or so that they would think i was cool um and and and, you know that kind of thing um that i was denying myself i was i never felt like i could be comfortable being myself and just relaxing i didn't think about this it was just something that i did it was just what i did and um i look at my mom and i see that she's kind of got the same thing because of my dad's rageaholism i'll call it that you know you never knew when he would you know flip off at something i had i was on eggshells when I got home from school in, in, you know, elementary and middle school, because I wouldn't know if when he got home, he would be mad if he saw something that wasn't done this that, or the other. And so I feel as though my mom kind of like surrendered her identity to just make things okay with dad. And I think part of that was because she had been divorced earlier on. And that was probably painful. And so she may have thought, I'm just, I'm sticking with this one, but at any rate, they're still married. They're still both kicking in their mid to late eighties. I love them dearly, but they're toxic as shit. Um, But they, they've, it works for them. They've got this dance and I don't know what the fuck it's called, but you know, they both know how to do it. And, you know, I, I can't fault them. Kudos, kudos to them. You know, I wouldn't want to do it, but you know, it's not my, it's not my dance. So, So I, I was in a few relationships. I was hurt, you know, hurt in love, et cetera. And um, one, of the, one of the situations that occurred was uh, when um, I had I have this cousin, and it's really weird. There was some sort of, um, like, competition between us. I don't know why, because I didn't feel as though it was. It almost felt as though, because my dad used to compare me to him he said well you know your cousin said you know how come you don't and you know that kind of talk and um but anyway so we were competitive in school and i didn't have to try as hard in school as he did but he was the one that ended up you know finishing college in 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 a normal stretch and actually becoming a doctor um, but he he had some issues and, and stuff. Um, but uh, um, but there was a thing where you know when I had a girlfriend, like he would want to have that girlfriend. Let's just put it that way. And and that ended up being traumatic. Um, and it, and it ended up scaring the shit out of me. And like really, in a way, when I when I married Julie, I kind of picked someone who was safe. I picked someone who a bunch of guys wouldn't want to steal away from me or whatever, you know? And, um, that was, uh, that was a thing. And so of all the stuff that's ever happened to me in my life, like getting shot and stuff like that. Um, that's the one thing that really still rears its, its ugly head every now and again, I'll wake up in the middle of the middle of the night and just like say, Oh, fuck man. You know? Um, because briefly, the situation was I was going out with this girl, and you know she kind of got around, and it was a sort of a free love time. I wasn't committed, um, but you know I had I was still a virgin because I was afraid of performing and not doing it right and being laughed at and all that. Uh, much later, probably than anyone else, but probably not now that I'm thinking. But I thought I was I was the only one left on the planet. And, um, and so I introduced the two of them and, you know, they're, they're, they're making it that night, you know, and I'm like, wow, I've been working on this for a year. Uh, that's kind of fucked up. So that's, that's the, that's the trauma. And, you know, I look back on it now and it's like, well, he was the way he was, she was the way she was, and I was the way I was, and we were all drunk as shit. So I get that, but it still fucking hurt. You know, so needless to say, my cousin, I don't trust him. I've, I've made amends, but not safe. So, uh, what do I do? What, what do I do now with, with relationships? Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of drama and I'm not a fan of toxicity. Um, part of the stuff about being married, that was, was, was difficult was negotiating uh, differences. But me and Julie went to therapy a handful of times, like probably every five years for a tune-up, and that was very helpful. And we learned ways to do that. But then we kind of you know drifted apart and, uh, in, in, in certain ways. Um, but uh, I felt because of the way that my parents were toxicity-wise, I felt I had to protect my family, Julie, and the kids from my parents. And, um, there, and, and that was, I'm, I, I'm proud that I, that I did that, you know, because anytime that, that we were over, like there was a time where we moved back from England and we had to actually live with my parents for six months. And, um, you know, Julie's hair started falling out and she had to get on meds because she was, So fucking, they drew her up a tree. And Zach went to stay with my parents one time. (laughs) I think it was so funny. He came back, you know, uh, after a week and he said, I I understand why you did drugs, dad. (laughs) He was like 15, you know? He said, they drove me up a tree with, you're not closing the blinds right. You know, you're not doing this right. We don't do this before we wash the dishes. We do it after we wash the dishes just, I mean, inane stuff. So um, so the, the, the inner child stuff, well, yeah, I wanted to get back to that. <clears throat> the inner child stuff was helpful for me. The child order stuff was helpful for me because it, it helped me frame a lot of that. And, you know, what I realized is that these are models. This is not the way it is exactly. These are, you know, a bunch of, you know, psych and, and social folks saying, you know, it looks like this is kind of a thing. And I get that so the the i was the hero child but i also was the the scapegoat the second child a lot of times um i felt as though i could go to the third lost child not so much but certainly the fourth one the the um the um the jester the comedian the comedy to break the ice dude a lot i did it a lot in school so I think for me, it was a matter of picking the different ones that sort of worked in the situation. This is part of these coping mechanisms that, that we've that we've all learned, you know. Um, and uh, so the inner child work, which was interesting when I was at that. Um, I was at that uh, rehab at about a year sober, and um, we learned about the inner child. And I was, you know, reading the book, one of the books. Um, and. After a particularly heavy session, we all, they said, okay, now take a walk for 30 minutes and reflect. And I took a walk <clears throat> and I love telling this story when I was taking a walk, um, in the suburbs of Montreal. And, uh, I heard, um, what I, what seemed like it, I heard, um, a kid crying in a car and it wasn't really happening. It was just like in my head. And uh, like sometimes I hear my dad's voice, Michael, in in my head, you know, um, not so much anymore, but I did uh, many years ago. And um, I had to, I had a vision inside of my head that um, as I was passing by this car, that it was like, you know, that kid that's crying in the car is me. He's in the back seat, and nobody's listening to him, and he's not getting his. He's not just not getting his way, but he's not getting. Um, Nobody's taking him seriously, and he's got stuff to say, and he's important, but he's being shunted aside, and um, And then the wildest thing was, is that I, in my head, look in the driver's seat, you know, because the kid's being told to shut up, you know, uh, in the driver's seat is me. So <clears throat> what that did for me was it made me realize that I am fully accountable now. I'm aware now that, that, and I've learned enough about, uh, that I don't have to hide, I don't have to pretend, I don't have to do all these things. Um, <clears throat> and I can't blame it on anyone else, you know? <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> notwithstanding, that yes, these were situations that happened. But now I'm, I'm the one who's in recovery. So I'm the one that has to do these things. And which is great, because I'm in control of that, you know, so there was such a sense of freedom. You know, and, uh, and at the same time, a little scary, because I'm like, I have have no fucking idea how this is going to work. But, you know, it's a good feeling, though, I'm gonna, I'm on the, I'm on the right side here. This is, this is, you know, there's hope, you know, and, uh, and that was good, you know, um, so years and years go by, bring up the, we bring up the family. I'm not much of an authoritarian. I think that because of authoritarians in my life, I don't want to be that guy. I've done it. I, you know how there's a way to be an author authoritarian and to be firm, but fair, generally speaking. I can't do it. I can only go dick. That's the only way I can do it is as I have to yell and be a dick about it. I, I, and I, I, it's not like I practiced it. So that's what it is. I just did what I was what I learned. So it'd be easier for me to just, you know, sort of be passive. And um, the 20 years into into sobriety is about 12 years ago, my my daughter committed suicide. Um, that was it. That was a huge thing. Um, I had gone into I had, was a born again Christian by that time. And, um, and, I, and I was for another, probably two or three years after that, I think. Um, but I was still doing comparative religious studies and all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I've, I've said this before, and I feel as though that if you're, if you're studying religion with an open mind, um, and you're aware of the mythologies, um, then you have to become an atheist. It's really the only logical conclusion. But if you do it with confirmation bias and from an apologetics standpoint, then you'll become a good fill in the blank of whatever religion it is, you know, and because I've done various 12 step programs with those different things, with a higher power, without a higher power as an atheist, etc., cetera. Um, and it's worked in all those different frameworks. I'm, I'm like, Okay, yeah, it's not like it's got to be one way or the other. If somebody needs a comfortable mythology, by all means, you know, but don't, but don't tell me that that's the only way it, it it's it's got to be done, because I'll meet you in the parking lot. It's not going to happen. So uh, I know from my own experience that that's not the truth. Um, and all we would do in the parking lot is talk, because I'm not a fighter. It's not, so we just have a conversation. Um, but uh, <clears throat> so. Where I'm at these days. Um, i'm a I'm a nihilist. I'm a joyful nihilist. I, I used to try and figure out that there was some meaning that that was supposed to be found. I thought that there was a me that had to be found if I when I you know you go backpacking um, I went into Israel for six months and trying to find myself and all that. And I love to quote the um a song by uh, Bob Dylan. um well, no, it wasn't a song. It was in a movie. That he said, you know, life is not about finding yourself or finding anything in particular. It's about creating yourself. And and that's that's where I'm at today. Because there's nothing to find. Here I am. So it's really a matter of asking myself, what do I want to do? What do I like to do? What am I into? That's that's me. Because because I I think that there's no um purpose in life. There's no meaning to be found. There's no warm and fuzzy. There's no nothing of the sort whatsoever. It's all chemicals and wiring. There's no such thing as, as love and all that. Although we feel this stuff. There's no such thing as free will, although we have the illusion of it. So it may as well be true. I mean, I, I, I could just as well call it true. But it's not. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Because if it it the illusion is there. So I'm with it. I'm good, you know. Um, and I feel these things, the chemicals do their job. I feel it, I can't deny that I'm feeling love or this or that or envy or rage or whatever, so you know, um I'm a human. I can't deny it as much as I would like to, but uh you know I you know there's a there's a term that I looked up one time, misanthrope, which is like a you know uh, uh, hatred for humans, and I'm like, no nah, i don't I don't hate humans at all. I love humans. I feel sorry for humans. I have compassion for humans. none of us signed up for this, you know I can. I love to have a conversation with someone who I've just met and then we get into a deep conversation, share a bunch of stuff, and then we never have to meet again ever. But there was something in that moment. There was a, you know, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me, you know, it's the human condition and 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 we're helping each other out. Like after, after Rachel died, I did the same thing I did in AA and in CODA. Uh, I found a support group and then I got helped by others who went through the same thing, the kinship of common suffering. And then I was able to help others. And that's what we do, you know? Um, so when I realized that if, if none of this stuff matters and all that, and so there's no meaning, but because I'm a human, I kind of have to have meaning. That means that I can create my own. And I don't have to look to anybody or anything to find it. You know, I can create my own. And just go with it, you know. And so that's that's total freedom. Um, let's see. I think that I think that's kind of really all that I had to say. Like I said, I, I I I don't hang out with toxic people. I keep my distance. I I endeavor to hang around with folks that are that are autonomous. Um, oh yeah, expectations. I, I don't do expectations. Um, I I, and and because look. I've been, you know, I've raised a family, I've done all that stuff. It's now that I'm like, um, you do you, I do me, we hang out. But you know, if you don't show up, or I don't show up, uh, you know, no hard feelings, we'll just say, Hey, you know, I ran into some stuff or whatever. It's not because I don't love you. It's not because you know, blah, 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 anything like that. It's just like, you know, we're all doing the best we can. And, and and that's something that I, I hang around people who that's what I do is I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I hang around with people who I can give the benefit of the doubt that they're doing the best that they can and their intentions are good. And and um, none of us fuck each other over and that's pretty good. Um, but as far as the toxic folks and all that kind of thing, not a part of my life. I, I call my parents every couple months um, and uh, they wish I called a lot more frequently. They used to give me grief guilt for this and that. I'm like, sorry, I, I'm not doing it. Can't do it. Um, and, uh, but recently, I've endeavored to call them more frequently, because they're in their mid 80s. And I thought, you know, this would be a nice thing. I feel as though I can do this. And if we have a conversation where it goes sideways, because someone's talking about politics, then I I don't have to take the bait. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I took the bait, though. But um, you know, we learn. Right? (laughs) Anyway, doing the best we can. So I'm happy to be here. um, And uh, hopefully, well, I know this is helpful for me. So I appreciate uh, you, Bridget, for asking me to to yap for a while. And um, yeah, so thanks.